Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, News and Analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Friday, the 22nd of October, 2021, and we will be rebroadcasting this show on Monday, October the 25th. 2021 from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please join us at koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 79th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis with your host, Pedro Gatos. I want to welcome you to a very special show tonight, the focus of which is the nature and liabilities of drone warfare that are increasingly becoming part of our foreign policy and military apparatus and have been used and are being used extensively throughout the world without proper public vetting and understanding of those liabilities by our public citizenry. Joining us tonight is an expert with outstanding knowledge about drones. His name is Nick Modern. He has worked as a reporter and researcher, writer, and political organizer for the past three decades. He manages www.nodrones.com, a website devoted to education and organizing to stop drone warfare and surveillance. He was director of the 2012 National No Drones Tour and was an organizer of the 2013 April Days of Action and 2014 Spring Days of Action. He also publishes the Drone Organizers Bulletin, and we are blessed to have him tonight, so please stay tuned. Enjoy. Okay, good evening, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP, Hornsby, Austin. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and today is October 22nd, 2021. It's a Friday, and we will be rebroadcasting the show on October 25th, 2021. That's this Monday that you will be listening to the show. So welcome. Before introducing our guest, Nick Matern, I wanted to start the show off with with a news segment. There was an article and quite a bit of coverage given to this statement by the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. He was in Kiev, Ukraine, just this past week, and he has been speaking to the Ukrainian government and took great efforts to continue to misrepresent the original Ukraine crisis of 2014. His visit in Kiev, this is at a time when Russia's relations with the West are at a post-Cold War low, according to this article by Reuters. Austin said Ukraine must be able to decide its own foreign policy and warn Moscow to halt cyber attacks against the United States and its allies. Now, to be clear, 
Russia has denied cyber attacks against the United States and its allies, and we have not been provided evidence that suggests in an incontrovertible manner that they have, yet these are repeated claims that go really unchallenged in the American press. But the Ukrainian troops have been fighting in this eastern segment of Ukraine since 2014 in the Lugansk and Donetsk area. And the assumptions that are made in this article that go unchallenged are really what we've addressed on many shows in the past, and we will address them again in an upcoming show. But part of them are captured by this nugget here by Secretary of Defense Austin. He says, quote, let's be clear that Russia started this war and Russia is the obstacle to a peaceful resolution, end quote. And this is what Austin told a news briefing alongside Ukrainian Defense Minister Andrei Taran. And what I want to be clear is that Russia did not start this Ukrainian situation, this war. It was a coup in 2014, clearly promoted by the United States. We have taped evidence of phone calls between Victoria Nuland and the ambassador to the Ukraine, Ambassador P-Y-A-T-T, amongst just voluminous information of our involvement there. And that as a result of a coup, clearly promoted by the United States, that overthrew the elected president, whatever you thought of him, but he was the elected president. The result was that the eastern sections of the Ukraine, who spoke and represented their interests in polling by over 70%, voted in this president, refused to honor this coup, and fought back against the incredible repression from very repressive military strikes by groups of the Kiev government that were led by neo-Nazi battalions and such. So all this is very well documented, and we're going to come back and address this in a show later this month or early next month, but it's just striking to me, just never ceases to amaze me, that unproven claims just by the repetition through our media become factual basis, and it really creates an underlying U.S. population consensus that can be very, very far from the truth. Anyhow, with that being said, I wanted to segue into our show tonight. The success of a democracy, our democracy, any democracy, include honest attempts at getting as close to the truth as possible. And we're going to be talking tonight about the drone papers. And I wanted to, before launching into our discussion, more formally introduce our guest, Nick Matern. Anyhow, welcome, Nick, to Bringing Light into Darkness. Yes, thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Well, Nick Matern, uh, he's worked as a reporter, a researcher, a writer, and political organizer over the last 30 years. He served in the U.S. Navy and was stationed in Vietnam in 1962 and 1963. He completed his active Navy duty and remained in Vietnam in 1964, working as a reporter for Vietnamese English language newspaper, the Saigon Post. Nick graduated from the Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism in 1966. He's been an activist for many decades, as is evident here. And I wanted to, first, before we got started, I wanted to uh, ask you to share. You were in the Navy. You joined the Navy. I presume something occurred between the time you joined the Navy that led to your activism work. Do you mind sharing what transpired in that transition? Well, yes. When I went into the Navy in 1960, 
after graduating from college, I was really very much a part of white middle-class culture in the United States and very ignorant about U.S. colonial interventions around the world. It happened before, back in the late 1800s. And then, of course, very ignorant about what had happened when the so-called pilgrims and other people landed here in Virginia to the native people. And then, of course, with the slave trade, I knew black people were at a disadvantage, but I had no real knowledge or awareness of any of this kind of exploitative history. In Vietnam, I actually volunteered to go there because the ship I was on had very uninteresting duty in the Pacific, and I was really just a shamefully uh, ignorant person. And when I got to uh, Vietnam, more and more I realized how corrupt the situation was there. But at the same time, I thought if the U.S., some of the, the problems, quote, winning the war, unquote, would go away. I even thought that after I came, came back from Vietnam. I saw when I was a reporter for the Saigon Post that the U.S. and the South Vietnamese were, quote, losing the war, unquote. It was very clear to me that things were falling apart. But I thought if the U.S. would send more troops, things would get better. After I got into the American culture and got to really being around people my own age and hearing the other side of what was going on, it was pretty obvious to me that I had been very, very ignorant and misdirected. I started reading two or three or two books, particularly very helpful, and explaining how the U.S. had really used Vietnam for bases, you know, to surround China, to have a presence. I think the U.S. Was, still wants this presence, mm-hmm. shamefully and, and so dangerously now. But at that time, I think most people were much more ignorant in the, in the way that, that I was. So when I got, got back here, I just felt I, you know, when I woke up to this, I felt I needed to join in with other people who were opposing the war, which I did do. Very good. Well, it is interesting to look at how people's experiences and the experiences include, of course, information that sometimes has been completely unavailable to us and how people's experiences and experiences include the absence or the pejorative ahistorical information, evidence that we have been inundated with. It creates a mindset that learns to tolerate and defend the morality of our country despite its horrific foreign policy outcomes that we are largely ignorant of. In other words, when it comes to U.S. foreign policy and the U.S. citizenry consciousness of it, a profound ignorance is manufactured by the information made available and unavailable to the public. Anyhow, when it comes to what radicalized you, that's really interesting. I always ask, or I regularly ask guests, those issues because, yeah, I think when truthful understandings start to emerge, good Americans like yourself realize that there's certain things that our government and other governments have been involved in that, that need to be brought to the light of the American public. Anyhow, today's show, we'll be talking about the drone papers. We have not talked on this show about the drone program here in the United States, and so I'm really excited to have Nick with us. And you know, we, we are lied to, and when those from inside the government, you know, namely whistleblowers, see the lies and gather the courage to risk their livelihood 
and bring the truth to the U.S. public, they can become vulnerable to some draconian, over-the-top ch criminal charges that are often accompanied by illegal forms of incarcerated misery. So think about it. Just in the last month on this show, we've detailed the Afghan papers, which the Washington Post claims it had obtained some 2,000 pages of notes from interviews with more than 400 generals and diplomats and other officials directly involved in the Afghan war. And the documents were brought to the American public and showed that the United States officials were lying about the progress being made in Afghanistan, lacked a basic understanding of Afghanistan, was the actual truth of the matter, and we were hiding unmistakable evidence that the war had become unwinnable. And in that process, we spent close to $1 trillion, with a T, in U.S. taxpayers' money. And that money made windfall profits for a small war industry elite but other than that, everyone else suffered. The lies of Vietnam were revealed by Daniel Ellsberg's Pentagon Papers. He risked prosecution for revealing these secrets that showed clearly the United States public had been systematically lied to about the Vietnam War, another unwinnable war in which we were lied into believing we were winning and that the war was justifiable, which it was not. At the end, we killed millions of Vietnamese, not to mention our own horrific losses. But today, we're going to be turning our attention to the drone papers. And that was an eight-part series published by The Intercept, which exposed and detailed a bunch of uh, secret documents detailing the inner workings of the U.S. military's assassination programs by drones in Afghanistan, Yemen, and Somalia. And what was revealed for the first time was this quote-unquote kill chain, which was the bureaucratic process which targets are selected to be executed, to be killed, to be assassinated. The information helped to expose the existence of the secret programs, that drone strikes were killing many more innocent people than their supposed targets, and that the U.S. citizens, in fact, had even been killed extrajudiciously by drone strikes in violation of their constitutional rights, I would imagine, which were to be tried. In a U.S. court for the alleged crimes that they were being charged for. But anyhow, in 2019, this is some four years after the publishing of these drone papers, the U.S. Department of Justice indicted Daniel Hale on four counts of violating the Espionage Act and one count of theft of government property. And the Espionage Act sounds like a law that actually is dealing with spies and saboteurs who injure the United States' national security interests by furnishing military secrets to foreign enemies. But from its inception, this Espionage Act has really been used more clearly to silence dissent. Uh, it's been used to prosecute journalists and whistleblowers. And what these journalists and whistleblowers have shown is this intentional deceit of the American people by the U.S. government. So it's striking that we have all these government statements that make accusations that are often repeated by our news media, quote-unquote news media, without verifying evidence. And as soon as any information comes out in complete contradiction by whistleblowers, by people that are inside the government that see these things and, and know these things, they are the ones that are prosecuted. And I just wanted to indicate that a lot of this background information comes from several sources. One article, Daniel Hale blew the whistle on the U.S.'s illegal drone program. He's a hero, not a criminal, by Chip 
Gibbons. This was on April the 10th, 2021 in the Jacobin publication. And I just wanted to highlight that the reason indicated for Hale's uh, pleading guilty was because of this Espionage Act charges, they prevent a public interest defense. In other words, Hale's lawyers were barred from arguing that the need of the public to be made aware of the criminal activities of the U.S. government was more important than his obligation not to disclose classified information to anyone was prohibited. The trial, which was to begin that following week of that, of that article in April, uh, Hale was forced to plead guilty in order to avoid potentially spending decades in federal prison. A whistleblower indicted under the Espionage Act has virtually zero chance at a fair defense. The law allows for no public interest defense. More disturbingly, whistleblowers are gagged from explaining their actions. Defense attorneys are barred from uttering the words whistleblower or First Amendment within earshot of the jury. Since all that matters for sustaining a conviction is that a defendant gave classified information to someone not entitled to receive it, that's all the jury is allowed to hear. This is the archaic nature of this Espionage Act that had very rarely been used because of these contradictions until the Obama administration. So it's a really immoral type of situation, I, I would suggest. And before I turn it to my guests to, to further elucidate these drone papers and what they all mean, I, I did want to indicate that this guy, Daniel Hale, was represented by an attorney. Uh, one of them, Jessalyn Raddick, issued a statement about the guilty plea, which occurred earlier in July 27th of, of this year. And in that statement, she made through the organization Whistleblower and Source Protection Program, she said, quote, Daniel Hale may have pleaded to a account under the Espionage Act, but he is not a spy. He was accused of giving an investigative journalist truthful information in the public interest about the secretive U.S. drone warfare program. She went on to explain that, this, that the government, our government, repeatedly uses this heavy-handed espionage act to punish media sources and whistleblowers. And in the U.S. government's policy of punishing people who provide journalists with information in the, in the public interest are a profound threat to the free speech, free press, and a healthy democracy, which of course needs good information and an informed uh, electorate in order to keep our democracy healthy and alive. So with that being said, I wanted to turn to these drone papers because like the Afghan papers, like the Pentagon papers of Daniel Ellsberg's era, these drone papers, I know you have read all of them. Can you tell us what they encompass, how many pages or what, what elements that they cover that the American public should be aware of? Well, I think that there's two aspects of it. One is the technical failings that are, in my opinion, not able to be repaired about drone intelligence and, and targeting. And the second thing is that it, uh, these papers showed the chain of command and uh, how extensive are these kill lists, uh, how people are moved from you know different categories of definitely kill, maybe kill, maybe later, this kind of thing that is really uh, totally illegal. It's unethical, it's immoral, it goes against the UN Declaration of Human Rights. And people here, you know, in this country, I think, 
have been exposed to the to the reality of the, of the failings of this program very very dramatically on August 29th when the best and the brightest of you know drone operators uh, commanding officers and and uh, technology ended up killing 10 people in a Afghan family seven of them children who had nothing any of them had nothing at all to do with any kind of attack on the U.S., potential attack on the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, quote-unquote terrorism. So many things that Daniel pointed out about the failings technologically, you know, and in terms of tele- intelligence interpretation from drone killing were manifested on that day, even though the drone papers were published in 2015. A lot of the information was gathered, I think, in probably 2013 and 14. Over that span of time, basically nothing had changed, and and it's and these problems still exist. Nick, real quick, so stop for just a second and explain to us the fact. So one of the main issues is the inexactitude of who we think we are targeting and who and and the collateral damage to innocents. Can you inform us a little bit about what percentage? of the time that occurs? I know you can't give an exact number, but just so the American public and our listening public has a good idea as to the inexactitude of this technology. Well, in the, in the drone papers, there was a, a reference to a study that the government had done over, I think, a four-month period where they found that 90% of the people killed were not the people who had been targeted. Okay. Now, were they, were they uh, civilians? Who were they? Possibly they were people who were potentially combatants, but who were not involved in combat. Possibly they were just unknown people, but their, their record of, of, of killing the bad guys, quote-unquote, was, you know, like one out of ten. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that people here have been sold a, a huge lie when it comes down to the precision of these drone attacks. Okay, well, a Hellfire missile went into this courtyard in Afghanistan on August 29th and uh, killed 10 people. And so that's very precise. Mm-hmm. But actually, the harm, the suffering engendered by that is indiscriminate, and, and one doesn't know what the limit of it is. Because when you put a family and a community through that kind of experience. And we have to understand, too, that the Hellfire missile is made to use against armored vehicles and trucks and buildings. So many of these people who died, there was very little left of them. So so the trauma of this spreads to maybe immediate family members, and then in the community, people are wondering, is this community going to be hit by another drone? Sometimes people can hear drones in the air. So the whole community is terrorized for, for weeks, maybe months on end. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Disrupts family life, disrupts being able to go to work, to go out for you know jobs, and not only jobs, I mean education. Yeah. Children, you know, experiencing this are a mess. So you're just speaking about the actual terror that these drones. So, so just to be clear, for people that aren't, aren't familiar with drones, they're unmanned aircraft, and they are being operated by people sitting maybe hundreds or thousands of miles away through computer technology, 
and Daniel Hale right. is just one example uh, of that. Mm-hmm. I was reading that right. that the government actually has a, a a difficult job filling these drone positions because of the types of mental and psychological duress caused by this uncertainty that Daniel Hale explicates clearly and such. But going back to what you were just speaking to, apparently drones, you can sometimes hear and sometimes, I guess, see them in certain areas, and they may be just hanging out for days and those types of things and then can strike at any point in time. And you're saying that that they have the capability of launching huge munitions like which you refer to as hellfire missiles, right? So I guess that's part of the trauma of the people on the ground is that when you say that they can hear the drones and see the drones, is that something that is common or is it just the unknowing that you're even being seen? Can you explain a little bit more about about what these people are are undergoing? Sometimes the drones are so high they can't easily be seen but they can be heard, and, and it's been described as sounding like a, a faraway lawnmower, gasoline lawnmower motor. And so, yes, and there are places, you know, Afghanistan was the most attacked by drones of any place in the world, actually. I mean, there have been sort of drone wars going on in, in Libya, and, uh, to, you know, to some degree, what's going on with Israeli drones against Gaza and, and uh in the West Bank, but Afghanistan was the most drone attack country in the world, both under Obama and then under Trump. Uh, Hey, Nick, we need to take a short break for the cause. We will return to our discussion with Nick Modern on drones and their implications in current use, particularly Afghanistan. Right after this brief pause, I want to remind you, you are listening to 91.7 KOOP Hornsby Austin. This is bringing light into darkness with your host, Pedro Gatos. Thank you for staying tuned to the premier community radio station of the nation, 91.7 KOOP Hornsby Austin. And we'll be back right after this. We'll be back in a flash. Don't touch that dial. 